Good evening. Appreciate everyone being here this evening, and I hope that we'll have some things that will be useful to you. We have been studying in the last couple of weeks and months about spiritual warfare. We talked a lot about the, the trying to silence God in our society and how that we need to fight for that in all the areas of our society. We've been talking about how that, that spiritual warfare creates a, a present darkness in our, in our world and that we have to face that present darkness. And we've just started a series in our Sunday morning Bible class on the unseen realm and how the spiritual realm is involved in the things that we're doing and how we're part of that spiritual realm. Even though we're in a physical world, we are spiritual beings as well. So we have both, uh, both of those things in our lives. So since those things are connected, I thought it would be good to have a lesson that talks about the importance of merging those two ideas. The idea of our spiritual warfare and fighting in that spiritual warfare in this present darkness. Sometimes we think we're surrounded and outnumbered by those that are around us, the evil uh, forces around us. Sometimes it feels that way, especially when it seems like mainstream society and mainstream media is, is out, uh, literally out to attack Christians in every, at every point. I uh, have actually seen recent videos on news clips of things where Christians would be uh, would be preaching or teaching or whatever, and the people would walk up and take their signs and rip them out of their hands and scream at them and cuss at them right there uh, just for saying that they love God. And it's just that kind of world in which we live. But before we get into our main text for the evening, I want to look at two examples from the Scriptures that address this unseen spiritual battle. One is found in, uh, in 2 Kings uh, chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, turn over there. 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to be in beginning verse 8. And this, I have to set this up. This is at a time when, a, when the Syrian king is attacking uh, Israel. They're trying to destroy specifically the northern kingdom. They're attacking Israel. This is during the time of uh, the prophet Elisha. Now, something you need to remember, Elijah and Elisha were, were prophets to the northern kingdom. Remember, the kingdoms were divided. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Judah was the kingdom that, that involved uh, where the temple was, and they, they never, ever uh, let that temple go completely apart. They still had idolatrous things added in there, but the northern kingdom is where idolatry was the norm. Rehoboam the first, or Jeroboam the first, was the king that established the northern kingdom, and he immediately set up golden calf worship, in which he claimed to be worshiping the one true living God through those golden calves. And he taught the people that. He said, don't go back to Jerusalem. You don't have to go all the way down to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. You can worship God here through these idols. That set up the battle between right and wrong, the spiritual things and the, and the non-spiritual things from that point. But even though they were not faithful to God for a long, long time, God still protected them because of the remnant of righteous people that were in the northern kingdom. This time, Elisha is addressing an issue. Verse 8, when, Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place will be my camp. 
But a man of God went and sent the word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the kings of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him, and thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, we've got obviously got a spy in our camp. Somebody's telling the king of Israel what's going on. Obviously to him, because there's no other way that he would know that. But one of his servants said, No, my lord, king, but Elisha the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send to seize him. And it was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Now, I'm going to stop right here and make this point. Just a thought. If Elisha knew what the king of Syria was doing in his own bedroom and was already warning the king of Israel, do you think that he would have known that the king was going to send men to attack him? It just stands to reason. I don't know why he didn't think of that. I certainly would have. But he said, I'm going to send me an army down there and get this guy, and we're going to put an end to this so I can go defeat the king of Israel. Because I certainly can't defeat him if he knows what I'm doing. This is the way it go goes. So he sent a great army, large army, horses, chariots. They came by. The, the, it was large enough to surround the city of Samaria. It was going to surround the whole city. So here's what happens. When the servant of the man of God arose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? We're surrounded. The king of Syria is sending an army down here. He's, we, we, what are we going to do? So he said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Before you read the next two verses, don't you stop and think. Here's this man, and he's looking at Elisha. He says, what you mean there's more of us than there are them? There's me and you, that's it. Because certainly the king of Israel ain't going to help us because he don't even believe in us. He's, he's mad at us anyway because we preach God's will. How in the world are we going to depend on them? And they got the whole city surrounded with an army. He says, those who are with us are more than those who are with him. And Elisha said and prayed and said, Lord, Open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The army of God was surrounding the mountain and surrounding the army of the Syrians. If you continue to read, he strikes them blind, they send it, it it's... It's an interesting story, but I want you to see the point. We can't see the unseen realm in our physical state. But that rule still applies. Those who are on God's side, God is with. In Romans chapter 8, the Bible, and we'll get to that later on tonight, tonight but I want you to mention this part of Romans chapter 8. The Bible says that, that if God be for us, who can be against us? That's important. 
if God is on our side, nobody can defeat us. That's because of this spiritual realm that we've been talking about on Sunday mornings. All right, here's another story. This is from 1 Samuel chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Now, this is a story where Jonathan, the son of Saul, is in their, their constant battle with the Philistines. So one day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including uh, Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. In other words, he was the priest. He was the one who was, that was there to represent the Lord. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes and the name of the other was Sina. And the one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash and the other on the south in front of Geba. And Jonathan said to the young man his ar- who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Now, I'm going to stop right here and just make a couple points. Number one. The Philistine army was, was massive, thousands and thousands. Israel was already outnumbered, completely outnumbered. Saul had 600 men, okay, just 600. They are not only outnumbered, but they are at a disadvantage militarily because the Philistines have the high ground on both sides of the valley. If you know anything about military history, you know if, and in, in other than before the aircraft and air superiority issues, before we had air, air warfare, if you had the high ground, you pretty much controlled everything. Especially if you had a military superiority in numbers and in weapons. You see, in the, tri- in the, uh, the army of Israel, there were at this time two swords. Jonathan's and Saul's. That's it. Because you see, the Philistines were the ones who manufactured weapons. And it was so bad that the, that the Israelites couldn't even sharpen their own plows and things. They had to take them to the Philistines and pay them to sharpen their farm implements. They couldn't even sharpen them. So we've got two swords, and they're dull. In the whole camp. The Philistines had the high ground, and they outnumber the Israelites. Jonathan says to his armor bearer, let's go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised. It, it may be, it's possible that the Lord will give them into our hands because it's nothing hindering the Lord to save by many or by few. Now, again, this armor bearer, this young man says, do all that is in your heart. I'm with you heart and soul. I'm thinking, Jonathan, have you looked at the odds 
we're outnumbered. And, and you didn't say definitely the Lord told you he was with you. What you said was, it may be that God will be with us. Possibly. I'm going to need a little more assurance than that. But he didn't. He said, I'm with you, heart and soul, whatever you say. Then Jonathan said, behold, we will cross over to the men and we will show ourselves. And if they say to us, wait until we come unto you, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say to us, come up to us, then we will go up, for that means the Lord has given them in our hand and that will be assigned to us. I'm this barmer bearer, and again, I'm going to say, Okay, go over that part again where if they come down. Because the sign is if they tell us to come up. Here's another problem. They're, they're at the high ground. There's no stair, stair steps to get up there. We've got to climb this mountain to get to them. What's to keep them from saying, somebody go get a big rock and roll it down on these guys, these two, two Israelites? None of that took place. The armor bearer said, whatever you say, Jonathan, I'm with you. It'll be a sign to us. Uh-oh, didn't mean to do that. All right. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison held Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. Modern day, South, uh, regular Alabama country boy. We'll show you a thing or two. Just come on up. Well, Jonathan and his arm said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer, killed him them after him. Jo basically, Jonathan would knock them down, and the armor bearer would kill them. They started sharpening them swords on Philistine bodies. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, a half a furrow's length of an acre of land. In other words, one row in a crop. They killed about 20 men. And there was a panic in the camp in the field among all the people. And the garrison and even the raiders trembled, and the earthquake, and it became a very great panic. And they ran. Well, the rest of the story is that then they saw the Philistines running, and Saul says, hey, go get everybody from Israel. Let's go get them. Then everybody came out, not just the 600. Now let's go get them. And they ran the Philistines out. But that's the story. Here's the thing. One of these stories it specifically says God is going to be with us and there are more of us than there are them. And he opened the eyes of the young man so he could see the army of God with him. In this instant, that didn't happen. But God was with Jonathan and the armor bearer and, lit and allowed them to win the battle without fighting this. Well, the key is the battle belongs to the Lord. It's not about us or our abilities. And in studying about the unseen realm and in studying about the, the, the spiritual warfare that we're involved in, again, sometimes it feels like we're outnumbered. How in the world are we going to win this battle? Here's the thing. 
We're going to win the battle because we're not alone in this fight. God is with us. I want to call your attention to the fact that this has been going on since the, church, since the beginning of the church. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 beginning. All of you are probably familiar with this passage. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 beginning, Paul says to, to the Ephesian church, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Step 1. Who are we putting our trust in? Our abilities or God? It's got to be God. Can't be our ability because we ain't got any. We don't worry about whether or not we can win the battle. We can't. God can. The spiritual battle has to start, step one, with us turning it over to the Lord. We have, first step, turn it over to God. And how do we go about doing that? Well, I, I would say we start off with prayer. We need to be praying about this. Lord, help us. Give us strength. Keep us strong. Protect us. We know that you're with us. We know the battle is yours. Here's the other thing. We've got to understand that visible results are not always what we think they are. Okay? Just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not God's not winning. That's important. We'll get to that a little bit more. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness this present darkness we live in a dark world in a dark age and why is there darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places why is there darkness we talked about it this morning there's darkness because of the absence of the light of god in our life well now let me bring this to your attention in matthew chapter 5 in the beginning of the sermon of the mount jesus said to us his followers you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a candle and hide it under a bushel, but put it on a candlestick that it may give light to all that are in the house. Now, we're the light of the world, so forth, so, so, so to speak. But do we have any light in and of ourselves? No. We don't have any light. First John chapter 1 says that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. In John chapter 1, when God is talking about the Lord coming, he says that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. All things were made by him, without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life became the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Why? Why doesn't the darkness comprehend the light of Jesus in their lives? Because they don't want to. They don't want to see it. But the point is, we have to reflect that light. It's not our light, it's His. We're just reflecting it. Others need to see Him living in us. That's what Jesus went on to say in Matthew chapter 5. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's not our good works for our good works' sake. It's not to glorify us. It's to glorify God. 
That's what it's about. We need to glorify God. We need to reflect Him so that others can see Him living in us. Now, in saying this, he says, put on the whole armor of God, all of it. And then he goes on to tell us what it's about. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, there are days coming that are going to be evil. We were told that. We've been warned that all the way through Scripture. He told us in the last days, men will depart from the truth. In the last days, there will be, there'll be those that hate God. They're lovers of themselves, lovers of money, disobedient to parents, ungodly, unholy. All those things we've talked about. Perilous times will come, he told Timothy through the Apostle Paul. It's going to be bad. We know that. The evil days are going to come as long as there is evil in the world. And that's going to continue until the Lord takes the world out. We need to remember that. So we need to be able to stand. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Step one, make sure that we have fastened around our waist, girded ourselves, the King James Version says, with truth. Where's the truth? Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So how do we go about girding ourselves with truth? We better get in the word. We need to know what it teaches. We need to know what it says. We need to fill our hearts and our minds and our lives with it so that it lives in us, so that others can see it living in us. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, this, this breastplate that the, that the Roman soldiers wore to protect them from sword thrusts of righteousness, okay? That is that when others see us and want to attack us, they, as Paul told Timothy, when others attack you, they should be ashamed because they know that they're having to make stuff up. They know you're righteous. They're not going to have to be ashamed of themselves. They know it's not true. But we have to be righteous. Does that mean we're going to be sinless? No. Is any one of us sinless? No. We know what we can be. We can be God-like by giving our lives in obedience to God. What did, Paul, what did the Apostle Paul, when he was writing the book of Romans, say about Abraham in chapter 4 of Romans? He said that he believed God and he was faithful to God, and his faithfulness to God was accounted to him for righteousness. Okay? I'm not a perfect husband, but I'm a faithful husband. I'm not a perfect Christian, but I'm a faithful Christian. The difference is people can see that. They know the righteousness that's living in us when it's, when it's not hidden, when we, when we depend on God. And as for shoes on your feet, having put on the readiness of the gospel of peace, be ready to take the gospel anywhere. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel in the King James Version. Be ready to go preach the gospel to anyone. In Acts, when the church was scattered abroad after Paul was, was uh, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the church and tried to destroy it, and he went to Damascus with letters to drag people out of their homes and take them before the, count, before the council, Sanhedrin council. When all that was going on, the church was scattered. What did the Bible say they did? They went everywhere preaching Jesus. Wherever they went, they preached Jesus. 
They took the gospel of peace with them everywhere they went. It was part of who they were. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith by which you can extinguish the, fi the flaming darts of the evil one. All the fiery darts of the evil one, King James, the wicked one, the King James Version says. It doesn't matter what Satan throws at you. That shield of faith can protect you from it. Doesn't matter. He can throw discouragement at you. Shield of faith will keep you strong. Protect you. If he can throw lies and accusations against you, which, by the way, we know he will do, because what is Satan? He's the liar. He's the accuser. Matter of fact, the, the meaning of the word Satan in Hebrew is the accuser. That's what the word means. He's the one who accuses us. And he's going to try to attack you in every way that he can. Don't let him stand behind the shield of faith. As long as we're behind the shield of faith, he can't get you. He can't touch you. What happens if we step out from behind the shield of faith? That's when he can get us. That's when he can get us. We have to stay behind that shield of faith. And take up the helmet of salvation. Cover your head with the knowledge that you, are belong, you belong to the Lord. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Our weapon, as he told us, as we read this morning, is not the weapons of warfare. It's not carnal like warfare. Our weapons are the weapons of God's Word. That's what we fight with. Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, hosts of spiritual wickedness in high places. Praying at all times when this, in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to the end that keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. What's the point? We are always praying that God will be with us. And he says, also for me that words may be given to me op in opening in my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now let me say this. Paul is writing to the Ephesians while in chains. And he's telling them to be prepared to fight in the evil day. W wait a minute, Paul. You're in chains. <laughs> How much worse can it get? You're a prisoner. Do you remember what the Lord said, what Paul said about his being in prison? What he was, God had allowed him to do while he was in prison, the Roman prison? He preached the gospel to the whole Praetorian guard. The very people that were jailing him, he preached the gospel to. He taught them about Jesus. And we know from history that many of them converted and became Christians. Now, some of them did it quietly and secretly, but they became Christians. In fact, some of Caesar's own household became Christians because of the teaching of God's word. Here's the point I want us to make. We are in the midst of a spiritual battle. Spiritual wickedness in high places. It's presently dark in our world. The darkness of sin surrounds us. What we have to do is to gird ourselves with the, with the armor of God. That begins with changing our own lives. I can't put on the armor of God. I can't be a light shining in the darkness if I'm not his. If I'm not his child. 
that takes place when I am one who understands that I am a sinner. We all are. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We must have faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he came to this earth and died for our sins, that we might have hope so that we could be saved from our sins. We have to repent of our sins, turn away from them. Repentance don't mean, I'm sorry I did it, or I'm sorry I got caught. Repentance means I'm going to change the direction of my life. I'm no longer going to be a slave of sin. I'm going to serve God. That's not an easy choice to make, but it has to be made. And then we are required by the Lord to confess him before men. He told us in Matthew chapter 10, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father who's in heaven. But if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who's in heaven. The Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, when he was asked, when he asked uh, Philip, what do I have to do or what, can I, what keeps me from being baptized? The eunuch said, if you believe, you may. He said, I believe with all my heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe it. And then they both went down in the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Why did he baptize him on the road to, to, to uh, Ethiopia? Why didn't he just wait? What's the big rush? Well, it's because, according to Acts 22 and verse 16, when we're baptized, that's when we wash away our sins. Paul was asked, why do you tarry? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, a lot of people want to call on the name of the Lord, but they want to do it on their own terms. It's not our terms. It's God's terms. We follow what he tells us to do. And then once we've done that, according to Romans chapter 6, we rise to walk in newness of life. We die to that old man. We bury him in the water of gravity baptism. We rise to walk in newness of life. And, and that begins our new life. Which means we now belong to him and we live that way. So others can see it. That's when we start putting on the whole armor of God. That's when we're able to fight off the fiery darts of the wicked one. But guess what happens when we sometimes slip and stumble? And we will. Why? Because we're human. What does God say in John, 1 John chapter 1? He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have no sin, we are a liar. And the truth isn't in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's the question. Are you a child of God? Have you been buried in the watery grave of baptism? Have you become a child of God? And are you walking in the light as he is in the light? We're in a fight for the very souls of our nation, literally, and our world, not just our nation, our world. The only way to win that fight is to put on the whole armor of God. And it starts with giving our lives to him. Tonight, as we close this lesson, I'll ask this question. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? If you have need to answer the invitation of God, will you come while together we stand and sing?